Welcome to the Alchemics Podcast, everybody. I'm Tommy Paul. I have behind me, if you're watching on video, you can see seven Amaro cocktails and in front of me a flight of seven different Amaros. And you guessed it, today we're going to be talking about Amaro and Amaro cocktails. As always, we're going to go through these uh, rapid fire because we made the cocktails for the YouTube channel, posted the photos on the Instagram, the whole thing. Bring those over to the pod so we can talk about them in a little bit more depth. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. Um, I have my notes as always, and uh, most importantly, my drink. And I'm actually drinking uh, my favorite tomorrow, which uh, we'll get to later as a bonus because this one was actually not used in any of the cocktails, uh, but it's my favorite sipper. So don't mind if I do. Um, cocktails we're going to be talking about for today are the Hanky Panky, the Toronto, the Black Manhattan, the Paper Plane, Embittered Garibaldi, Italian Buck, and as always we finished off with an Alchemics original called King's Landing, invented by the COO of Alchemy Consulting, John Philby. Um, and the Amaros in front of me are Nonino. Montenegro, Averna, Amaro, Braulio, Fernet, Chinar, and we'll save the seventh one, which is my favorite, uh, for later. So, first of all, um, I'm also reading, I uh, have right in front of me, Brad Thomas Parsons' book on Amaro, which I do recommend. It is, um, it is one of the only available books on Amaro, frankly. I think this may have just been a category that many people were not interested in writing about. Um, be, and to that exact point, the very first sentence of the book, which I actually opened with uh, in the YouTube video, was there's so much weight, quote, there's so much weight, history, and complexity packed into the word Amaro one thing that people can agree on is that Amaro, whose plural is Amari, is Italian for bitter. But when it comes to the production, appreciation, and consumption of Amaro, we're guided more by tradition than strict catacurt. Why do I keep messing that up? Jeez, I need some more Amaro. I can't say the word categorization. Catacurt. Categorization, damn it, and classification. So I guess it's the time to drink more of this. End quote, pardon me. All right, so I, I do really appreciate the fact that he did this because in essence what he's trying to say is that there's really no strict rules or legalities on who as a country can produce Amaro and... Um, and uh, the process, although, you know, luckily the Italians really love tradition, so they, they stick to um, these old processes. Many of the Mars in front of me, which by the way, we will be tasting later, uh, do, a, do a little on-air analysis. 
they, they claim to make the same recipe from 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, um, which, you know, it's not necessarily good or bad, but it's just interesting. So the process in Italy hasn't been messed with too much as far as we know, although I will say that Amaro Purist will try to tell you uh, that it can only be made in Italy, that it has to be made in Italy because that's the way it's always been done, and I can tell you that that's just not the case. Amaro is being made all around the world now. Um, there's some American Amaros that I quite like, uh, but all seven in front of me are from Italy, and uh, we'll call it, uh, you know, uniquely, at least originally, is uniquely. Italian concept. So I uh, I want to jump in really, really, uh, really quickly um, to as many uh, as many cocktails, spirits, and things of that nature start with, which is not talked about much, uh, is evolutionary biology. And uh, Brad Thomas Parsons does actually talk about this a little bit in the book, but not much. Um, but he does, so you know, to his credit. But uh, the reason why um, Amaro's are, are considered a digestif, even though there's not, there's still to this day not really much medical uh, literature to back that up, is because of the bitter component. Uh, which is which is why, in essence, it's defined as bitter, uh, even in the exact word in Italian. So, basically, through about three hundred thousand years of human evolution, I'm not an evolutionary biologist, but that's roughly how old the human species is. Human beings developed. Uh, like uh, it's sort of a uh, inverse reaction or like a reactionary impulse to the bitter flavor profile, which is why babies hate it and why it's like one of the last things that our palate develops. And even as an adult, when you start drinking bitter things, it takes quite a while to develop a bitter palate. Uh, and so, in essence, the reason why that is, is because most of the time bitter meant either poisonous or spoiled. So, um, I'm not going to get all kooky evolutionary biology on you, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert. But, in essence, most of human history, most of that 300,000 years, we were hunter-gatherers. <clears throat> pardon me, which is just to say that we didn't have the agricultural re revolution, we didn't grow food yet. So most of the times, most of the time that human beings spent just being alive was just spent um, finding food, basically. So that is actually very important within the scope of what we do, because the reason why the human palate can perceive somewhat um, upwards of like 4,000 different flavors or more, I believe, was the exact number that somebody put on it recently, even though there's a likely chance that it's even more. But the reason why 
our world of hospitality, fine dining, bartenders, chefs even exists is because of this evolutionary biology where human beings just developed a really intense palate um, because we needed, you know, we needed to be able to perceive different uh, of flavors to, to figure out, you know, the smell of herbs, things that were poisonous, ripe fruit, things that would kill us, wouldn't kill us. That's basically it. Life is a Pandora's box of horror trying to kill us. And it was a lot worse <clears throat> for our ancestor hunter gatherers. So long story long, when it comes to the bitter flavor profile uh, as a whole, the bitter flavor component that we perceive as, as humans, what happens is when your palate predict, uh, tastes something bitter, it immediately goes into like digestion mode. And there is apparently there's a little literature to back this up, but it sounds, you know, so basically the idea is if you were to eat something bitter, your body was going to try to completely expel it from your body as fast as possible. So the Italians knowing this for hundreds of years have used this to their advantage. And when you, as soon as you taste something, it's intensely bitter. Your body thinks that something poisonous is going into your body and it immediately tries to get rid of it, which basically activates your digestive system very quickly. And look, you know, well, one thing he does say in the book, I don't remember exactly. I'm going to paraphrase here, but is, uh, your doctor will probably not tell you that that is legitimate, but anybody who's ever drank in Amaro will tell you that that will absolutely get your system going, get your digestive system going. And uh, we won't get into all the details of that. So... Uh, one thing he does say is that Amaro is loosely defined, quote, Amaro are created by macerating and or distilling bitter barks, herbs, seeds, spices, citrus peels, flowers, and other botanicals in a neutral spirit or wine that is then sweetened with a sugar syrup. Most Amari are then rested for a period of time to help further balance the blend of some, and some also undergo months or up to a year of additional aging in barrels for extra complexity. So, in essence, it's taking some of the most bitter herbs and botanicals that you can imagine and turning them into a liqueur. And then the flavors are balanced by adding sugar. And then you obviously are going to need your, your neutral alcohol base. Like, for example, Nonino, which we have over here, which we'll get into later because that is Sam Ross's uh, favorite Amara, one of my favorite barmen. So shout out to him. Inventor of the paper plane. That has uh, a grappa base. Um, but others have a base of wine, <clears throat> or it could simply be a, uh, a neutral alcohol. All right, so I want to just rapid fire. Read from um, the Amaro book, as was previously aforementioned. 
the uh, common bittering agents. Um, I don't expect necessarily anybody's going to remember all of them, but uh, it's, it's it gives you an idea. Gentian's a big one. Bark's a big one. Um, that are the most common. But it gives you an idea of uh, the kind of herbs and botanicals that are used to make uh, Amaro and why they're bitter. And in essence, highlights what is Amaro about. So, quote, common bittering agents used to make Amaro include chinchoa, cinchoa, I don't know how to say that, cinchoa bark, gentian root, wormwood, angelica root, um, with additional ingredients, like herbs, spices, like cardamom, chamomile, rhubarb, mint, orange peel, fennel, artichoke, licorice, eucalyptus, juniper, ginger, cardoon, clove, anise, saffron, and sage. So, uh, quite a bit to work with there, and I don't believe that there's any legalities preventing you from deviating outside of these, but, of course, if you weren't using the right, um, if you weren't using right components making a nice bitter aspect, then it wouldn't really be considered in people's minds a MRO. So there's a, definitely a lot to uh, work with there. Typically lower proof between 16 and 40% alcohol. The bitterness scale can run from syrupy sweet and bone dry with a range of flavors from bright citrus to floral to vegetal to woodsy to mentholated to bracingly medicinal so like I know for example uh, some of the ones that I like the most uh, have the presence of mint and ginger things that are a little bit outside the ordinary gentian is probably the most common bittering uh, agent that or just like various different kinds of bark um, citrus peel I like a lot uh, because I just love citrus peel and a cocktail, the whole thing. And uh, I know that these are very complex flavors to wrap your head, head around. I have uh, in front of me Fernet. I'm going to, you know, Fernet. This is kind of interesting. I mean, Fernet to me is like, I remember the first time I ever tried Fernet, I was working at a joint called Cafe Fiorello, old school Italian joint, they, they drink Fernet there, it's very common, I had never heard of it, I've talked about this before, it was one of my first uh, legitimate jobs, and I, a bartender gave it to me, old school guy, and uh, I tried it. And I truly was like, this is a horror. This is like, to me, I remember the first thing I said was, it was like drinking minty dirt. It's like dirty and it's minty. And still to this day, I get notes of these, uh, those flavors. Like, I'm not going to lie. When you, it gives me a flashback to just playing around in the dirt as a kid. But there's an old school gentleman that's sitting at the bar. It's a funny story. So... I'm working at the bar, never tried Fernet, old school barman, 
old school guy sitting at the bar. Barman gives me glass of uh, Fernet. He said, this is a bit a uh, bartender's handshake. I say, I have no idea what that means, but all right, I'll do it. I'll give it a shot. So try it. I was basically mortified immediately. And I was like, what is that? And he goes, well, it's a bartender's handshake. It's a sign of respect uh, between bartenders. Now, I didn't understand till later that he was actually trying to say that that was like a way that you knew somebody was a barman. So if a barman comes into your bar, but they don't say they're a bartender, you give them a, a fernet either after a drink, after a meal, the whole thing. And that's how... That's the whole handshake thing. There's a certain telepathy between bartenders. That's how it goes. But it takes you a little while to get there. So I hate I hated it at first. But uh, the old school guy sitting at the bar goes, well, just give it a little while. Try it a few more times. It's kind of like coffee or Campari. Campari. You're not going to get it the first time you try it. Your palate has to... Uh, acclimate and you will you will love it later and now and now i understand what he meant and i can't imagine drinking anything else after a meal um, because it is hard to wrap your mind around what it actually is and when you look at it through the lens of evolutionary biology that's when it starts to make sense because the palate really doesn't get it doesn't make sense you have to keep you know you have to keep drinking it to start to understand it so what's really interesting about Amaro is uh, that the story goes that this dates back much further uh, than 16 17 1800s now in essence this is what alchemics is all about and uh, the reason why it exists in the first place because the phoenix, if you're watching on video, right behind me, I'm pointing on video, uh, in the logo, is all about uh, the idea that out of the ashes you will rise. And I love this idea that certain things can be kind of, you know, shit at first, but then become amazing things later, basically. Give you the, the, the short version of that. So, Amaro actually was stumbled upon by the ancient alchemists. Now, the ancient alchemists were people who claimed that they could turn base metals into gold. So that is, metals like steel, aluminum, copper. And the alchemists de dedicated their entire lives to this, uh, mostly Greek and Roman. And, uh, pardon me, Whew. I need a little more of this. So they dedicated their lives uh, to basically being able to turn other elements into gold. They were also interested uh, in creating elixirs for immortality. Many people have said that that is how chartreuse started. We talked about that in the last episode. Now, obviously, 
a lot of that is kind of lore and uh, storytelling, but important than any of this is that Amara was created by the alchemists which were the uh, ancient Greek and Roman sect of basically philosophers that were claiming that they could turn base metals into gold now obviously if you're watching on video you can see that my entire brand is attached to alchemy I love this idea of alchemy now, obviously, they never exactly succeeded at turning base metals like lead into gold, but the reality was they were actually skilled chemists and they would, you know, for their time, they were considered actual scientists because they would manipulate the elements to their pleasure, which is exactly what bartenders do and exactly what we do here at Alchemics. So... As well as being uh, trying to turn base metals into gold, they were also interested in creating elixirs for immortality. And there's long and rich history about the alchemists that you know goes in deep to you know their search for the philosopher's stone, which we won't get into in the mo for the moment. But they, in essence, created Amaro accidentally by. Um, attempting to make these elixirs for immortality. The Italians call them, um, pardon me, Elisivir Lunga Vita, elixir of life. And so along the way, created Amaro by preserving these bitter tonics in wine and other alcohol, much like the way that uh, port was preserved or, you know, with brandy and things like that, it, you know, they would preserve these, these, these bitter tonics because they would go bad eventually, but if you add alcohol to them, they won't go bad. So that is what alchemics is all about. The reality is the ancient alchemists created Amaro on purpose or not is up for interpretation but that is what it is um so let's go ahead and just jump over to the cocktails now we started off with a hanky panky and uh one of my favorite cocktails that we've ever made one of the one of the um one of the great cocktails that goes down in history, I remember the first time that I ever had it was at uh, Amoria Margo and one of my best friends, Jen Beard. And I talked about her on the last episode, award-winning team of Katana Kit and the whole thing. And Brad Thomas Parsons actually goes into Amoria Margo in the book. I'm, you know, very, very blessed to have been able to go there. Um, before this whole thing started. I believe they will be reopening. Great business models. So I had a hanky-panky there because that was one of the few cocktails that they could make because 
they're in a Mario bar and they 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 don't really do anything too complex in terms of cocktails but this is a fairly uh, simply res- simple recipe of just uh, vermouth it's basically equal parts gin 1.5 ounces and 1.5 ounces of sweet vermouth we, vermouth we used antica and I believe the original recipe called for two dashes of fernet what we did was actually spritz the glass with fernet um, because this is a cocktail where admittedly Amaro and fernet alters the flavor profile only slightly but it's one of the more important cocktails that we've ever made because it was invented by Ada Coleman who was the uh, the predecessor of Harry Craddock at the the Savoy Hotel in London drink my Amaro and many people have actually told me over the years that Ada Coleman built most of the cocktail program that Harry Craddock took a lot of credit for in uh, the Savoy book but uh, you know more importantly she was a bartender at a time when he was still considered like quite barbaric for a woman to be behind the bar but she was just so good and so good with people that she was too good to be ignored as i say uh whilst making the drink um so original recipe was two dashes of fernet 1.5 ounces of sweet vermouth 1.5 ounces of gin uh we used a uh local gin called dry town and we, I use a dry town in the cocktail because, frankly, it's one of the few spirits out of my home state of Colorado that's actually good. There's, uh, there's a few, but there's not many. And the problem with spirits in this state is that many of them try to claim local as a selling point, and that's really all they have to. That's really the, <clears throat> the only thing they have to offer. But dry town is an amazing gin that I love. And uh, has the presence of ginger in it, which I really love. And I think it kind of makes this cocktail because it just pairs beautifully with Fernet. And so that's a stirred drink with an orange twist. And the story goes that Ada Coleman uh, had a cult lake following of, of regulars, uh, one of which was Sir Ch- Charles Hawtrey, who was a stage actor. And when she first, like many great artists, she was constantly tweaking recipes. And when she served this to him, finally, the way it's served now, he declared it the hanky panky and announced it to the bar and um, bought the whole bar a hanky panky. And everybody, uh, story goes that he had everybody give her a round of applause and stopped with, you know, garnished with an orange twist. Unfortunately, Sir Charles Hawtrey died one year after this was published in 1925 in the Savoy cocktail book. And when asked about it, she said that he was one of the greatest cocktail tasters of all time. So 
That's it. Shout out to Ada Coleman. And um, we jumped uh, right along to a uh, Toronto cocktail. Which I will. Um, this is uh, this is kind of like basically an old fashioned served up with the presence of fernet. That's exactly what it tastes like. It's just like a sweeter old old fashioned. The fernet doesn't really bounce as much as I wish it would have. But the Toronto is two dashes of Angostura bitters. Quarter ounce of Demerara sugar syrup, brown sugar syrup, match that. Quarter ounce of Fernet and two ounces of Canadian whiskey. You, we used uh, Pendleton, which was quite interesting because it had notes of brown butter and maple syrup, which certainly made this drink uniquely Canadian. But the Toronto first appeared in Robert Vermeer's Cocktails how to drink them in 1922. Um, but in that book, it appeared as a Fernet cocktail. It was not called the Toronto, but he does explicitly state in the book that it was enjoyed mostly by the citizens of Toronto. So just like much cocktail history and lore, as David Wondrich would say, what gives... When it shows up in David Embry's The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks in, in 1948. Well, the reality is David Embry probably just ripped this cocktail for his book and then called it a Toronto because that's the way that Robert Vermeer addressed it. And the reality is that Robert Vermeer at the time, uh, he was a barman that was working in England. And uh, his cocktail book was published in 1922, which would have been whilst prohibition was in full swing so it's very likely he used canadian whiskey in this cocktail due to the lack of american whiskey available at the time and then obviously post prohibition 1948 david embry uh, publishes it in his own book so there you have it it's just an orange twist for garnish but it's served up so again, two dashes of syrup bitters, quarter demerara sugar syrup, quarter fernet, two Canadian whiskey served up with an orange twist. It's an old-fashioned variation of Canadian whiskey. Um, next up, we have a. Uh, I guess what I will do, I think this is this is going to be how we should do this, so we don't do it all at once. Is I'm going to take these amaros and I'm going to taste them. Whilst uh, we go over the drinks, I was thinking about maybe saving them for later, but I think this this will be a better move because you can sort of integrate them as we go. Talk about why they work in the cocktail. That's why alchem that's why alchemist is all about. So I'm gonna start out with Fernet because the 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 uh, hanky panky in the Toronto the only. The flavor profile is only is altered only slightly by Amaro, and it's altered by Fernet. That's because Fernet is such a pungent flavor profile. So, on the nose, Fernet is always very minerally, and I still get that dirt, man. And it's not a bad thing. It's just like it's just like a t it's like fresh. It's like a fresh soil smell. 
could be rhubarb. There's definitely a bit, bit of mint in there. Gentian is there. I should also say that Fernet is the only uh, category of Amaro's, at least that's sitting in front of me now, that's its own standalone. Um, that can that can be treated as its own standalone category. So you get rhubarb mint on the nose, maybe heavy sage if you really dig into it. And there's that minerally dirt, which is nice. And then it kind of skips right past the front palate, but which le but leaves the front palate with like a little bit of mintiness on the residual. The body, when you put it back to back with uh, most of these <clears throat> other Amaros other than Averna is much darker. Uh, you know that caramel colors added, that is unfortunate, but it's still very natural tasting. So, kind of just glides over the front palate, but leaves a little bit of menthol lingering. And then mid palate is like heavy sage to me. And then it goes down the back palate with just like a minerally, chocolate, hints of chocolate going down, maybe cocoa powder. It's good. Fernet is what it is. This is obviously, I don't know if I said, but this is Fernet Branca, which is, you know, by far the most popular. Uh, but again, Fernet is uh, its own standalone category. So the way that it alters the hanky panky is just slightly, and then in the Toronto, it kind of just makes it a slightly less sweet, up, old fashioned. Um, but it does leave it with that with that little herbal minerally taste in it. So we'll move right along to a black Manhattan. And this is a cocktail that I like a lot uh, because it's sort of like a deeper, richer, spicier, maybe even a little bit oakier Manhattan. So what I like about this cocktail and I'm gonna smell a Verna while I'm talking about it. Um, this gentleman named Todd Smith invented this 05 bourbon and branch in San Francisco. So I guess you could put this into a modern classic uh, sort of category, but whatever. Now he basically just switched out the, the vermouth for Amaro, but his recipe does call for split bit of one dash of Ango and one dash of orange. So I do like this cocktail a lot. So it's one dash Angostura bitters, one dash of orange bitters, one ounce of Averna and two ounces of rye. So it's the exact same uh, formula as Manhattan and really just, I guess, I personally wouldn't put any orange bitters in Manhattan, so we probably just added that, put a Verna in it. And, but what I do like is that 
you know, Amaro and Vermouth can be talked about in the same conversation, certainly. Uh, although they're 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 different. They're in the same they're in the same universe, especially in terms of alcohol content and so when he whilst switching out sweet vermouth in a manhattan for averna todd smith who i'm not particularly familiar with but he he in essence in my opinion created a better manhattan in a way i suppose that could sound a bit controversial i love a good manhattan as much as the next guy i drink of but when when he took averna he doubled down on the other flavor profiles in the in the drink there's a there's a concept we talk about in cocktails which is double jeez man let me take a sip before i freak out ah, that's better Ooh, that's good wow love it man averna so there's a concept we talk about in cocktails which is doubling down on flavor profiles so um i suppose many classics are not the best example of all time but if you if you have a you know if you have I guess a simple example is if you have a bourbon which is typically a sweeter old uh, sweeter whiskey that's probably the best to use in old fashioned which is why in my opinion a bourbon is best in old fashioned because you double down on that sweet pro flavor profile which is just a fancy way of saying basically you have sweetness because you're putting sugar in an old-fashioned and you have sweetness because the whiskey is already sweet. So Averna is an Amaro that has spice notes and is sweet. So by using a little bit of a spicier and I'm tasting it now, I'm getting definitely orange on the nose and orange on the front palette and mid palette as well. I get why he used Zango and orange bitters in this cocktail. It's a great drink. It's a great drink. But what I was getting to was that the spice notes in Averna are doubled down with the spice notes of uh, the rye. So rye is rye, a mash bill of a heavier rye which is in essence just a whiskey recipe makes for a spicier whiskey so uh, we use Templeton rye which is a, which is a favorite of mine it's an Iowa rye and it's got a 95% rye mash bill a claim that dates back to prohibition it's got a uh, bootlegger history out of, out of Iowa shout out to uh, Templeton rye but Obviously, Manhattans were traditionally made with rye. So, what I was so the 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 spice notes in the amaro that are not really found in vermouth. You don't really get spice notes in vermouth. It's more just the sweetness. Now, amaro has the spice notes and the sweetness. So, you can think of this as a deeper, richer, fuller Manhattan, which I love. So, I'm trying amaro. I'm getting um, 
I'm getting like a grapey port on the front palate, um, like a uh, like a really sweet, and then almost as it moves to the mid palate, I'm getting almost like a slow gin type of flavor profile, which is slow berries and then sweetened. So that sweetness is there; it's well balanced. But great thing about Averna is it's finished back palate and going down with a heavy, heavy dose of like chocolatey, uh, you know, cocoa, coffee, and that spiciness, which you get spice from orange, getting like orange peel, orange spice. Mm. Oh man, it's so good. Verna's so good. It's rich, it's chocolate, it's dark, it's spice, it's orange, it's 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 notes of port. Yeah. I mean, this just works so well in Manhattan. I gotta be honest, I, I may, if the opportunity is presented to me, tradition aside, I may prefer Amaro in my Manhattan. Um, yeah. Hopefully that doesn't ruffle too many feathers. Do what you will with that. Averna. Averna is a recipe, I believe, that dates back to the 1600s. Um, wow. Whew, that one went down quick. All right, so we've tried Fernet and Averna so far. Uh, I will say, too, let me just. So, Averna, chocolate covered raisin. Man, that's good. You gotta try that. That is good stuff. All right, let's move on to an Italian buck. Um, I think it's, in terms of cocktails, this is the one of the ones I enjoyed the most. There's such contradiction of flavors. It's so good and so easy to make. Um, so, the recipe is three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, 1.5 ounces of chinar. And that's a, uh, we'll try that in a second. That's an artichoke heavy amaro. And match that with 1.5 ounces of Montenegro, which supposedly is Italy's oldest and most awarded amaro. And um, the reason why I love this cocktail, or pardon me, Three ounces of ginger beer topped up. It's served in a highball and uh, garnished with a lime wheel. So you can liken this to like uh, it's not at all like I mean it's it's in like a, it's in the category of bucks, whereas you have uh, an added kick of ginger, which as I've as I say I love. But what I love most about this cocktail is the guy takes two, his name is Jamie Bedreau. We'll get into that in a second. But he takes two Amaros. And with the addition of lime juice and ginger beer, it, it becomes more of almost an aperitif. But it's such a contradiction because it's like an aperitif, digestif, but it's all delicious. Uh, we used fever tree ginger beer. So Jamie Bedreau is the owner of Seattle joint uh, called Cannon Whiskey and Bitters Emporium. And apparently 
He put this on a menu in uh, 2015. And what I like most about Canon is, and I've never been there uh, yet, is that he, 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 he has like my preferred menu, which is a twist of classics, originals, maybe a couple twists on classics and uh, in like in-depth category of different cocktails. So I know that apparently this cocktail went into like an Amaro category, but uh, it was published in 2016 in the book that I have right in front of me, Amaro. And Canon Whiskey and Bitters Emporium won um, – Best Spirits Collection from Tales of the Cocktail in 2014 and 2017, which many of you saw on my Instagram. I had the privilege of going to Tales of the Cocktail in 2019. Unfortunately, got shut down in 2020. So Canon Whiskey and Bitters Emporium uh, claims the largest selection of, uh, of spirits in America. Um... Over the years, I heard that they also had the largest collection of American whiskeys as well, or maybe uh, the largest collection of whiskeys in America. No, that wouldn't be right. But one of those, um, yeah, largest collection of spirits in America, uh, amazing spirits list. So Split Amaro, the first Amaro in question, Chinar. I'm getting a little rosemary. Definitely artichoke is there. Definitely raisin. There's something there that's deeper, more complex. I can't quite figure it out yet, but let's try it. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Massive marshmallow, um, massive, massive marshmallow. Wow, in a good way. Not so much the flavor, but uh, the feeling. Just ooh, mm. wow. Very savory. Rolls straight past the front palate into the mid and back. The artichoke is there. Uh, it's less bitter than any of the other Amars I've tried. Mm. Wow. Okay. Chocolate, uh, for sure. Cocoa powder, heavy char chocolate, dark chocolate. The artichoke shows up in the mid back to back palette and going down is fantastic. Mm. Wow, okay, Chinar. That is um, maybe the first time I've ever drank this by itself. This is really good. I liked it a lot more than I thought it would. It's sweeter than I typically like, but it just is so smooth. It rolls, rolls through 
it rolls straight past the front palate but into the mid palate and then you get like this marshmallowy succulent savory flavor it's not too bitter it could be more bitter the artichoke is there it's definitely sweet um it's on the sweeter side even for amaro's chinar now um Jamie Boudreaux matched that with 1.5 ounces of Montenegro. Now, this is going to be a big one. This is Montenegro. Here we go. I'm tasting Montenegro. Wow. This is good stuff. Um, all right. So, interesting thing about Montenegro is originally called... Elixir Vie Lunga Vita, which is the elixir of life uh, in Italian. But because the creator, Stanislaw Kobianchi, had an interest in alchemy, he, uh, <clears throat> he switched the name and named it after Queen Elena of, uh, or Princess Elena of Montenegro that later became the Queen of Italy. Now, what I hear just floating around the ether is that Montenegro is Italy's oldest established Amaro. So that is just to say that it's the oldest to ever be bottled and branded and sold. And um, I do believe that this is one more than uh, this has won more awards than any other Amaro in Italy, and uh, it's 40 different botanicals in this, so it seems like it's herb-heavy. I don't know uh, the average amount of uh, <clears throat> botanicals and herbs used in Amaro, but this seems like a heavier, heavier dose. Definitely complex, more to figure out. There's not one herb you could point down on the nose. Um, I'm getting like a campfire marshmallow. You're getting like a smoked something. But it's really more of like an herbal... A smoked herbal... Man, what is that? A smoked herbal... Let's give it a try. Wow. All right, so certainly one of the smoother Amaros that we've tried. This is uh, definitely getting the mintiness in that menthol. It's, uh, it's very herb forward. Rosemary is there. Gentian root is on the back palate. It goes down mentally. And um, yeah, it's just all around smooth. It seems more of like a, a really a really nice balancing app, act of herbs, uh, bitter component and the sweetness. So yeah, I can see why this is Italy's more more um, more awarded Amaro. It's very smooth. Marshmallow is there. Marshmallow is there on the mid palate. And um, 
So then, yeah, just top off those two Chinar Montenegro with some lime juice and uh, with ginger beer and you have a Italian buck and just like many cocktails that have names that start with other countries like Italian, it was invented in America, but uh, I obviously called it an Italian buck because used two Amaros from Italy. And uh, when asked about it, uh, and it was published uh, in this very book that I have here, Amaro, he said, this is one of the best cocktails to make at home. You can treat it as an aperitif or a digestif, and uh, it's a real crowd pleaser. And that is Jamie Bedreau, owner of Canon whiskey and bitters emporium so we also had an embittered garibaldi now this is a weird one for me personally because in essence this is an amaro old-fashioned but the original garibaldi is like a campari and orange cocktail campari and orange juice um, so I don't know why that happened. It actually makes no sense to me why he named it like as a twist on a Garibaldi, but uh, it's, it's a good cocktail. His name is David Little, was the creator. Um, invented it in his own joint called Barnacle in Seattle. And what you do is you add a pinch of salt to a mixing glass and then pour in one ounce of Montenegro and uh, that is the same Amaro in question so in essence he used Montenegro as the sweetening agent for this cocktail and then poured two ounces of Amaro Braulio uh, give it a stir, strain with some fresh ice, lemon zest now Montenegro is quite sweet, and um, so it's kind of like the brown sugar in an old-fashioned, and then the uh, Amaro Braulio, which is much, much, uh, much more bitter, darker, richer uh, in flavor profile. Other than Averna, Braulio is for sure the darkest tomorrow as I'm looking at it right now and about to taste it. Um, so he almost treated this as a spirit. Now, obviously it's low ABV, um, aperitif, digestif, more digestif, but it's strong enough to be a balancing act for the Montenegro, which is a much more sweet Amaro, which I suppose would be my only criticism. Let me drink, take a drink of water in between and then I'm gonna sip this uh, Maro Braulio. All right. So, he used a pinch of salt as, uh, you know, to open up the flavor just like bitters can. And uh, used uh, one ounce, a uh, pinch of salt, one ounce Montenegro, two ounces of Maro Braulio, stirred rocks, fresh ice, lemon zest, uh, 
sheds another little bitter layer there. So Amaro Braulio uh, claims an 1875 original recipe, which is named after Mount Braulio in Italy. And their uniqueness comes from using high elevation herbs. So they, uh, they have created something unique, Amaro Braulio. It's interesting stuff. Uh, and the story goes that basically they, they would pick the herbs, distill them, and then they're rested at about half the elevation too. So this, like a lot of Amaro's, is rested in oak barrels as well, but it's finished uh, while resting in oak, in, uh, oak barrels in, uh, in a higher elevation, which will allow for more precipitation and more of like an extraction of the wood. So it's definitely there. On the nose, it's like much more fernet. You could actually probably put it back to back with a fernet on the nose alone, but a little softer. The menthol is less than fernet branca. But you are getting those high elevation herbs Definitely a heavy dose of sage is there. And let's give it a shot. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I love this. Whoa. This is delicious. All right. So if you were to take like a this tastes to me like if you were to if you were to make like a if you created a beautiful balancing act between frenet and montenegro frenet which can be maybe sometimes to some people in some ways a little bit too far on the, the bitter herbal side and then montenegro which can be considered by many myself included a little bit too sweet braulio is right in the middle it walks that line beautifully so not only do you have a beautiful balance of uh, sweet and bitter, but you also have a balance of like mint and sage. You have an herb balance. Hmm. Wow. Just gives the front palate this rush of chocolatey raisin, um, but doesn't linger too much hits the mid palate with like a minty sage and goes down super smooth. Back palate is almost not there. Little chocolate, not heavy chocolate, definitely raisiny, grapey. I'm not quite sure what the alcohol base in this is, but I'm curious now because Mm. When you hold it on the front palate, you're definitely getting rosemary as well. Wow. Uh, Verna and Braulio, my two favorites so far. Really, really good. Wow. Okay. Braulio. Just a, just a, just a class, just a class act. Beautiful Mario. For, 
Amaro from Braulio. Amario. Amario Brothers. Braulio. No. Uh, yeah, Braulio, 1875 recipe. Mount Braulio, really, really good. Um, it's a little bit of lemon, lemon zest lingering um, on the back palette, which is why maybe I liked this embittered Garibaldi from David Little so much. Really good. Um, I liked the salt component. actually really opened it up. But, um, yeah, wow. I, I mean, I, I, I want to just sit there, but we're going to have to move on. So next up we have maybe arguably the most popular modern classic of all time. But certainly the most uh, popular... Maybe the most popular Amaro cocktail. I don't know, that'd be interesting to see. Um, you know, Hanky Panky in Toronto have recipes that date back to the 20s. But uh, we're skipping ahead to 2008 for a paper plane here. Now, there's a lot on this one. This is probably the most... Uh, there's a lot to go over here. This is probably, I think for the, you know, how bartenders kind of come up in classes, I always say. So like in New York, there was a class above me and then the class above them was the real old school guys. And then, and then there's like a class below me that are having a really hard time, I think, caring about all of like this stuff. Now, this, is probably the Amaro cocktail for younger folk, let's just say millennials, and because they don't really have a lot to go off of. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not sure many people, unless it's on the menu for whatever reason, are going to order a hanky-panky and and the Toronto is a very specific cocktail. Now the paper plane is incredibly pop popular and for good reason. This kind of, I mean, look, one could argue that the paper plane basically invented the modern classic category. I love this cocktail because as I mentioned whilst making it on the channel, this is, I first had this at the Nomad Hotel which was a bar that both inspired me to be a mixologist at a high level, but also to later go, go on to design bars. And it wasn't invented there though. This is a Sam Ross cocktail. Now, Sam Ross uh, is an Australian barman who, um, he spent seven years working under Sasha Petrosky, you know, the legendary trend setter for this entire industry. I would like to delve into Sasha Petrosky a little bit deeper uh, on a different episode. But in essence, Sasha Petrosky basically died trying to make the cocktail bar model work as a business. And 
he really didn't exactly succeed, unfortunately, but he paved the way for barmen like Sam Ross, like myself and like many others, to be able to even do what we do. Otherwise, we would just be making bitter slings and shit cocktails that some other kooky nuthead came up with and pouring wine and beer. Otherwise, you know, this entire thing really wouldn't exist. Now, obviously, the cocktail existed, as we talked about in the first episode, uh, in the first cocktail revolution, but we've had many a dark days, and frankly, this is one of them. Uh, but yeah, Sam Ross was the head bartender at Milk and Honey, which is Sasha Petrosky's uh, legendary joint in New York City. And uh, he invented this during that time, around 2008. He says that he didn't invent it uh, because of that song that was all around the radio that at that time but uh he did play it a lot i guess during that time so this is a four equal parts riff of three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice three quarters of an ounce of aperol three quarters of an ounce of amaro nonino and three quarters of an ounce of bourbon on the last word now he changed every ingredient in the cocktail, so it's very unique, very creative, and he did a good job of making that whole balance. But yeah, as I say, the first time I had this was in the Nomad Hotel. It changed my entire perspective. The person that gave it to me told me that it can be likened to like a male Cosmo, if you will. Cosmo for the men. Not that there's anything wrong with men drinking Cosmo. I drink Cosmo, the whole thing. It's just that because it's a whiskey cocktail, it's perceived as more uh, approachable to a man. But who cares? I mean, that's just rhetoric. Now, the story goes that Sam Ross, who I love, uh, actually reverse engineered his favorite Amaro, which is Nonino for this cocktail and I've heard him say on a couple occasions that um, I guess I should backtrack so the thing I love about Sam Ross the most is that he basically a year before Sasha Petrosky died and after Milk and Honey basically was a failure from a business standpoint he revived it with other partners but turned it into Attaboy, which again, many of you saw on my Instagram, I've been to recently. I love the place. It's a bespoke bar, which be, which means basically they don't have uh, a menu anymore. They they just go, they just have amazing bartenders that will reverse engineer the flavors that you like and make you something based on what you normally like. So he revived it, which, you know, Australian barman, to his credit, I mean, he did an amazing thing for the American cocktail world. So I got to give him a lot of credit. I like now I've heard him say a few times that he reverse engineered this cocktail uh, whilst at Milk and Honey uh, based on his favorite Amaro, which is Nonino now. Not that I give a shit, but wine enthusiast gives Nonino 95 plus or something a heavy dose whatever they do their scale makes no sense but it is an amazing amaro now i'm interested to see why he reverse uh engineered this cocktail 
based on Nonino. Now, one caveat, and like to that point, I should I should point out that you really should not put another Amaro in this cocktail. Sam Ross, the inventor of the cocktail, has said on record ad nauseum that he reverse engineered this cocktail based on Nonino, his favorite Amaro. So it's kind of ridiculous to put another Amaro in it. Now, in terms of balancing flavors, sure, you can make an attempt, but Amaro, as we're obviously talking about right now, is such a complex subject that if you switch this out for even for anything else besides Nonino, you're making a different drink. I mean, we can talk about the scope of which you're making a different cocktail, but it's a different cocktail. That, that is what it is. So forgive my rambling, but that is what it is. I always like to make sure that the uh, the uh, barman in question get uh, the respect they deserve. So, all right. Now, Nino is more nutty on the nose than any Amaro. I'm getting like a, uh, maybe a Brazil nut. Maybe a tiny slight bit of cashew on the nose, but the spiciness is there, which I like. And I know that this Amaro has a grappa base, as we say. So that, that contributes to, I think, this being a less sweet Amaro, which is why it works so well in a cocktail. Especially with something that has Aperol in it already, which is very sweet. So, so again, that's four equal parts three of three quarters of an ounce lemon juice, Aperol, Amarino, and bourbon. And we used Angel's Envy bourbon. The reason why we used Angel's Envy is because it's finished in port casks, and it pairs beautifully with both the Aperol and the Nonino. Um, I actually don't know the original bourbon that he used. But in bourbon, un, uh, because bourbon is such a specific category of whiskey and of spirit that we've talked about many times before, there is, there's much less diversity in flavor, flavor profile in bourbon than Amaro because with bourbon in America, we have very strict categorization, categorization of what that means. It's so much more subtle, I think, on the nose than any other. There's a bit of orange there, actually. I get that orange and that orange zest, mostly orange. It actually makes a lot of sense to me why the use of Aperol makes sense. Of course, I'm thinking about a paper plane whilst doing this, so it's easy for me to say. Again, all credit to him. It's, it's an amazing cocktail. And he, he built it from scratch. So I do get that orange peel on the nose. An orange, uh, which is why it pairs so beautifully with the Aperol. Um, lemon zest. I do want to say as a side note, as a... Uh, Tommy Tangent that I was at a rooftop bar the last time I was visiting New York same exact trick trip that I went to Attaboy and I went to Attaboy obviously the exact building where this cocktail was manifested 
and had an amazing drink. No idea what it was. I think I told him I like grapefruit, bitter, but also citrusy. And maybe I said spirit for it too. It was, it was amazing the conundrum I put them in. But uh, a few nights later, I ended up at a rooftop bar where they're actually serving a paper plane. And it was just so bastardized. It was served with like crushed ice, maybe not crushed ice, but uh, chipped ice on the rocks on a rooftop and the whole thing just ruined it. I hated it. Um, and that's, I guess, in essence, the murky world of cocktails we find ourselves in. But no, it should be served up without a garnish. And if you're really feeling fancy, then just put like a, like a, Paper, like an actual little paper plane on it or something. So, orange juice is there. Get the grappa. Let's send it down the hatch. Hmm. Once you know, you know. It's easy to see that this has a grappa base as soon as you taste it. This is uh, orangey. Wow. Credit to Sam Ross. I can see why. Aperol is such an amazing pairing. This is the most citrusy of um, it's the most citrusy of any Amaro that I've tasted just now. So, hence the uh, lemon juice and the uh, paper plate. Hmm. The herbal is more spicy. Um, gentians there um i get like a uh, almost like an angostura bitters the thing i will say is it finishes deep dark and rich um which i guess is why it works so well with bourbon but yeah i i think let's see here all credit to sam ross i mean that's just such a great drink you do have to make it with no Nino. I'm not even gonna accept this cocktail as a paper plane if it's served with any other Amaro besides no Nino. I hate to be a snob, but that's just what it is. Uh, that's that's just what the creator called for. Now bourbon, it sounds like you have much more fluctuation, so do what you will with that. Amaro, <sighs> great uh, no Nino, great Amaro. All right. Now, last up, we're actually finishing off with the last cocktail we made was uh, called King's Landing. It actually has this exact tomorrow in it, no Nino. Um, and it's an Alchemics original created by my friend John Philby, also with COO, Alchemics Consulting. Uh, it's another Manhattan riff with a uh, split suite of uh, 0.5 ounces of Punta Mess. That's 15 mils for all you uh, English and otherwise, every other country in the worlders. And uh, 15 mils, half ounce of Nonino as well. What this in essence did was create a balancing act of like a uh, grapey, Grappa, spicy, slightly spicy, but more of like an herbal sweet that goes in the Manhattan. Two ounces of Great King Street Scotch. 
That is a scotch, uh, most notably with the flavor profile of vanilla and apple. It's a great scotch. I've been drinking it for years. One of the only scotches that doesn't use caramel color, supposedly, which I like. Now, no bitters. We already get that in the tomorrow. Uh, and uh, up we put it in a cocktail glass with a lemon twist. Great drink. Um, the, the Nonino being a less sweet and more... Uh, more spicy Amaro is... Um, works beautifully in this Manhattan riff. However, I will say it's far more spirit forward. It's a very, very spirit forward Manhattan variation, that's for sure. So you're not gonna get that same sweetness that you get with a full one ounce lick of uh, sweet vermouth. We use Punta Mess um, for the sweet vermouth, as I say, and same Amaro, try it again, it's very, very good. drink makes a lot of sense I'm getting that um, I'm getting like ripe apple on the uh, on the front palate finished off with like a raisiny it's less bitter uh, but it is more herbal it's also less sweet no Nino just an amazing Amaro from the Nino now um, I want to finish off briefly with something that I don't like or you know I don't want to do fuck. So So yeah, just a great great Amaro from Nonino really good work over there from the Italians. Now, it's very balanced. A uh, bit of chocolatey, but more cocoa powder. You get the tiny, it's a tiny hint of like dark chocolate on the, the mid to back palette. Now, finish off. Um, this is my, this is our bonus Amaro. So, this is my favorite tomorrow. Unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to use it in any cocktails. I haven't come across any established established cocktails that use this in the recipe. But it's so good, so balanced. It's everything you want in a tomorrow, and that is Maletti. Deep, dark, rich, fruit, stone fruit, chocolate. So good, so much more well-balanced. More bitter than almost any other Amaro here. It's just so good. So, you drink Maletti. I get a tiny bit, tiniest bit of menthol on the front palate with a bit of orange zest as well. It hits your front palate with a tiny, tiny bit of spice and mint, little acid. Shoots straight back to the to the uh, 
to the mid palate with like a savory, marshmallowy, succulent blend of herbs and spices where you get like sage, rosemary. If you really dig deep, you might be able to get a little dill in there, but it's balanced beautifully with the sweetness that goes down the back. And I'm getting like a, an orange zest in the back palate and orange juice sweetness that balances out all the flavors. Man, your tongue is just left with this just gorgeous, gorgeous. I mean, that is... There's a reason why it's my favorite tomorrow. I love Maletti. It's got everything you want. It's so beautifully balanced between sweet, bitter, herbal. It's it's truly everything you could ever want in a uh, in, in an Amaro. It's been my favorite Amaro for years. However, I will say I haven't found any cocktails that that uh, integrate it. In, uh, in a way that highlights it the way it needs to be highlighted. Now, I certainly am going to be making an attempt after, you know, revitalizing my palate with this gorgeous, but it's just so good sipped. Um, it's such an amazing digestif. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everything. It's a contradiction of flavors. Now, that was the last tomorrow. We went over all the cocktails. I'm going to finish off with something a little bit different. Now, um, this is going to be a little controversial. I'm sorry. This is not something that I normally have to do or want to do. Um, but if, if we skip back one cocktail to the paper plane, I unfortunately have to um, do Sam Ross uh the justice that he deserves because Sam Ross, who invented the paper plane is an Australian barman. And uh, apparently the story goes that he has roots in hospitality. His parents were deeply involved with hospitality. So he was, uh, he was involved and it influenced him from a very young age uh, in Australia, but then obviously quickly came to America in the early 2000s and then really became a trend setter for really the entire second cocktail revolution uh, because not only because of the paper plane, but because he, you know, worked at milk and honey and, and under Sasha Petrosky and then revitalized that bar, kept it alive. So I'm a big fan. And there's this guy named, and if you're in the industry um, and you work at a high level, this is not even to be taken seriously. So, there, but there's a guy who's also an Australian barman. His name, he goes by Steve, the bartender. Now, uh, I don't normally like, I don't want to knock any people, but I'm just trying to defend Sam Ross because this guy just completely bastardized his own people and this cocktail. So Steve, the bartender has a video up on YouTube from years ago where he makes a paper plane and he makes it with Angostura, the uh, Amaro, but I don't even think it's an Amaro. It's like the Ang Angostura, for whatever reason, released a weird, I guess it's almost like a digestif kind of thing, but I don't know if it even falls into the category of Amaro. 
but it's like a heavy bitters. It's like liquid bitters. So I think it might have a rum base. So he makes a paper plane with this originally. Um, and rightfully everyone freaks out and be like, and you know, in the YouTube world of cocktails and goes, look, dude, that's just insane. You can't do that. That's so wrong on so many levels. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into this, but the whole thing is wrong. He shakes wrong, shakes with some chip dice, shakes over dilutes the cocktail, the whole thing. It's just like every cringe you can imagine as a real barman. It sucks to watch. So to his, to his credit, he goes again, a year later, makes a, makes the paper plane recipe again. And, uh, but this time uses Montenegro and goes, well, I don't have access to Nonino. And, uh, you know, as we say before, you have to, you know, the, the recipe calls for Nonino. Sam Ross literally reverse engineered the recipe and made it with his favorite Amaro, which is Nonino. And he goes, well, don't have it, but Montenegro is just as good. He actually, you know, makes it sound a lot worse than that. And then again, the whole, you know, people come after him um, and they're like, dude, your fellow barman from Australia, Sam Ross, reverse engineered a simple four equal parts recipe with Nonino Amaro, which he has said on record is his favorite Amaro. And then, so eventually another year later, says, oh, well, okay, so we'll release a video with uh, where we'll put Montenegro and Nonino back to back. So then he makes a video fairly recently and then goes and puts them back to back and goes, well, you know, so I didn't have access to uh, the first time I made it with uh, Angostura, the Amaro substitute. And so I made it again with Montenegro because I didn't have Nonino. <laughs> And then, so it doesn't, doesn't release a recipe the correct time. The third time in question doesn't release the correct recipe, but does release a recipe where, or a video where he does both. He does Montenegro and Nonino and goes, yeah, Sam Ross, Australian guy. I think he might've worked in New York or something like that. Invented this cocktail and, uh, you know, trying these back to back, they're basically the same. And they, and they, and then, you know, to his credit, he does say, you know, I'd probably, you know, of course, he's just trying to keep in good graces, hopefully, with his own people by saying like, oh, well, you know, now we're going to make it the right way. And I would choose it this way, the way the actual creator of the cocktail invented it. But Montenegro is absolutely an acceptable substitute for the cocktail. What are you talking about? What are you doing? Three times, and the third time in question, you don't even concede and say, yes, my own fellow barman from Australia reverse engineered an Amaro-based cocktail with Nonino, and that's what the recipe calls for. Therefore, I will make it with the recipe. You don't even do that, man. You come out and say that the 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 Montenegro variation is just as good, and you know, in your opinion, therefore it is just as good. I mean, this is just a failure on so many levels. Forgive my ranting, 
But in essence, this just highlights the reason why these YouTube bartenders are not taken seriously by anybody in the industry. And they, they're considered like their own category of people, man. They're just kind of fruitcakes that make cocktails on the internet. It's a huge problem. You don't see punch on uh, YouTube. You don't see imbibe on YouTube. And I don't know why, maybe just because they don't, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to allocate the resources to video production, but it's like, the reason why alchemics exists and the reason why that I'm even here is because of these kinds of people. These are charlatans. These are absolutely people that are spitting in the face of not only, you know, the American cocktail revolution and the cocktail revolution that ha- happened worldwide, but literally stomping on a cocktail from his own people, man. This is just insane. And, uh, you know, it just rubbed me the wrong way on on so many levels. Steve the bartender, you know, shameful, shameful activity from Steve the bartender. Spits in the face of not only, um, you know, the cocktail revolution that happened and started, frankly, in America in the early 2000s, which was... Uh, Sam Ross, an Australian who came over here and helped us and to his credit was part of the whole cocktail revolution, the second cocktail revolution that we had over here. You should be praising this guy, man. You should be putting him on a pedestal. You should know everything about him. You should know. You should say, hey, yes, the first time you make this cocktail, you should put it in and say, yeah, he reverse engineered the paper plane based on the Nonino Amaro because it was his favorite Amaro. How is that guy not your god in the cocktail world in Australia? So, yeah, you know, all credit to Sam Ross. Uh, Love the cocktail. He's an amazing guy. Just despicable, despicable, disgusting behavior from these YouTube bartenders in general. But more specifically, Steve the bartender, just disgusting, man. Just disgusting. I mean, abandoning your own people, uh, you know, it's just like you're, you're in essence, the re- you highlight everything wrong with this entire world, this entire industry. Where just any guy can just go behind a camera and start making drinks and then he'll be he'll be considered, you know, uh, some sort of visionary of the cocktail world. You were just early. You were just early. That's it. And, uh, you know, I don't have a problem. I don't mean to call anyone besides him out. Uh, but just... Um, yeah, really just disgusting behavior. Uh, really a slap in the face to everything that you know, the cocktail world has worked for and um, an abandonment of his own people, nothing worse than that. So again, this is the reason why, uh, you know, you, 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 unfortunately, I hate to say this because this is my own sector, but you can't take these people seriously making cocktails on YouTube uh, and on the internet. So that's a great thing about knowledge and knowing where to go is, you know, you can go to punch the website, you can go to imbibe, you can know you're getting accurate history and recipes. And I'm hoping that's what alchemists can be. 
Uh, we got a we got a ways to go in in terms of distribution, but we 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 always make the most accurate and credible uh, recipes with the most accurate history and actually pay credit to our predecessors. And um, it's a great thing. You can come to Alchemix. You can know you're getting the most accurate variation of the history. And uh, hopefully we can turn this whole thing around with, with just this horrible name that these YouTube bartenders get as always sorry we finished on a little bit of a bitter note if you will hey hey that was a nice save i hope um but as always i'm tommy paul cheers